Don't get no better, bro. Non-stop. Phenomenal. Folks, how's everybody doing? It's your boys. We back. Silverback Chronicles Podcast. It's your boy, Big H. I got my brother, Dre. What it is. What's good, baby? Tranquilo. Triple C. Yo. What's good? Maintaining and chilling, bro. All day, every day. Folks, we back. Listen, this is episode 70. Ooh. 70 episodes. In Listen Yo we just started this a year ago mm. and, and, and and we had And we had to stop for a little bit Cause of COVID, Cause of COVID. So listen we bubbling And then and this, 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 this is taking off So We appreciate everybody Keep tuning in Buckle up Cause this one night Bananas We got a lot of things planned for the summer yeah, the summer's going to be crazy. Oh, yeah. Insane. And it includes y'all. All day, every day. What? Shout out to the troop, man. Right. Right. Keep tuning in. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And they have been. Absolutely. We got to talk about the um, giveaways. We're getting ready to do giveaways. Yes. Stopbox has been wow. generous enough to hook us up. And we're going to send out the rules or whatever for the giveaways. But we're working on that. We'll give you the rules of engagement momentarily. Ooh, I like that. That's a good phrase. I like that. You know what I'm <laughs> but first and foremost, Starbucks USA. Don't forget the code, all caps, Silverback Podcast. All caps, Silverback Podcast. Get you 20% off your purchase. From here, your boys in blue. We appreciate you. Second one, don't ever forget about Bond House. You want Fells Point? You know what I'm saying? Been a long day. You ain't getting nothing to eat? Go to Bond House. The boys will take care of you. Phenomenal dinners. Their, 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 their menu is insane. And it's grown up, you know, strictly for the grown ups. And now they got that outdoor, they built this real nice outdoor seating, eating area. It's beautiful, bro. From the farm to Fels, that's it. That's it. And they got a nice quito for you outside in the cold, you know? Just right? in case. Just in case. But uh, shout out to everybody in the world. We love you. We appreciate you. Everybody tuning in. Please keep telling a friend. This is where this is where it is. This podcast is moving, and we're doing numbers, and uh, we appreciate you. Don't forget the website www.silverbackchronicles.com. Get the latest merch, and uh, keep working hard, keep grinding, keep God first. With no further ado, listen. The one we got tonight. Um, yeah, I know every ten episodes. When we sit down on that on that seventy, that sixty, that fifty, it's it's a it's a benchmark, groundbreaking. Hmm. Yeah. What better way to start the seventies off than the guest that we have tonight, ladies and gentlemen? Like I said, we 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 have people that come in professional and another level, but it don't get no better than what we got tonight. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable Judge John Hargrove Jr. Sir, good Sir. evening. Good evening. Thanks for it's being here. My pleasure to be here tonight. Thank you very much for the invite, and I look forward to having an interesting conversation. First of all, I have to say, I'm feeling that royal purple shirt right there. Amazing. I, I appreciate it. I like that. I had on a multicolored, very colorful shirt uh, 
on the way out, but my wife stopped me. <laughs> she wasn't having it. She said, she said nah. She said, whoa, whoa, whoa. She said, that's, <laughs> that's not the shirt for today. Right. She said, where you going? <laughs> where the fuck did you think you was going with that? But I like my colorful shirts, so I, so I, I went... Down so to the purple, to my Ravens colors. Okay. Yeah, okay. okay. Are you a Ravens fan? Oh, yeah. I'm a Ravens season ticket holder. Yes, oh, here we go. Yeah. Damn. Damn. I'm looking, I missed last season. Um, you know, I'm glad I didn't go. There's no way I would have gone. Right. But, but you get back in the stands this year? Oh, yeah. And they they selling tickets again this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> where where, where do you back. sit? Like on what side? I you, sit in the. How do you like it? Uh, right, I love it. You can actually see the I'm, game. I'm a football. Yeah. Okay. Oh, M and T. You can see the game from well, anywhere. I just got to make sure though. And I yeah. got a couple of buddies that have you know like some coin, and oh. they they have the boxes. Oh, excuse me. So uh, I mean, okay. I never went to my buddy's box to let you. And my daughter set it up, so nice. that just goes. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but that's that's an interesting experience. <laughs> what I'm saying, do you like the end zones? Like, do you like I am. I mean, seats, or you like the behind the bench. Well, it has nothing to do really with what I like. What I have mm. for the last 20 years is in the corner of the end zone. Raven's side, up in the corner end zone, right off of one of the big screens and just under the overhang. So if the weather's inclement, I stay dry. Nice. So you got a nice setup. Yeah, we got, and I, uh, my mother, who's 91 and I, have shared these season tickets for 20 years. She doesn't go now. But God bless, God bless, God bless but her. She's still a fan. Nice. And, uh, but yeah, so we've been there. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. Had a lot to do with my father. He was a big sports fan. So I grew up going to the Baltimore Colts and the Baltimore Orioles and the Baltimore Bullets. Wow. Not that. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a sports oriented person. John United's days, huh? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Used wow. to bowl at his bowling alley. Y'all not old enough to remember the John no, United's Colt. Right. It's, it, it, it's the fair lanes or whatever in Woodlawn now. Security wow. Boulevard right across the Social Security. It was the Johnny United's Colts lane. I met Johnny United's out there. I was in oh, elementary school sometime. Wow. Got his autograph. He, yeah. But that was a long. Y- y'all folks weren't. I wasn't thought about it. No, y'all, none of y'all were thought about Uh at that time. I'm sure it was a good year, though. It was, and um, I will tell you an interesting story. The Black Colts, we we lived uh, in an area right off of uh, Gwynn's Falls Parkway on Longwood Street, and there was a park there in the football field, and the Black Colts would practice there in the off-season. I'm about five years old, still living there. And one day, my father took my brother and I across the street, and it was um, Big Daddy Lipskin, uh, Buddy Young, Lenny Moore, Jim Parker. I think I got the four. And they threw the football with us, me and my brother. And I'm, just something I remember today uh, that happened, but it was just, just one of the neatest things <laughs> I think that's ever happened in my life. But the black Colts were really involved with the community uh, back then. You would Who see Who were them. the black Colts? Lenny Moore, Buddy mm-hmm. Young, uh, Jim Parker, uh, Big Daddy Lipskin. Um, they were big in the community? Big in the community. So Lenny Moore is still around in the community. Mm-hmm. Jim Parker had a liquor store forever and a day on Liberty Heights and Garrison. Wow. And he never got robbed, or more than once, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Liberty Heights and Garrison. He, wow. had that, he had that liquor store on the yeah. corner of Liberty Heights and Garrison for all... Maybe when he was a Colt, and mm-hmm. certainly for years. I mean, you could go in there, he'd be behind the, the package counter. Wow. Yeah, so they, uh, Big Daddy, of course, didn't have a good outcome. I think he OD'd. Mm-hmm. 
uh, or something back in the day. Uh, but, you know, Jim, Jim Park was around. Um, John Mackey, of course, one of the great, great tight ends, mm-hmm. uh, who unfortunately toward the end of his career, uh, the deme- I think it was dementia he suffered mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. And it was really unfortunate. One of the Ravens game, they were honoring the um, the old Colts, and uh, Jim Park was there. He was on the crutch. Johnny and I was there. They're all getting old. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> John Mackey was there wearing a cowboy hat, and it was pretty widely known that he was having issues. Mm-hmm. They announced his name. He picked up a football, and he ran from our end zone in a dead sprint to the other end zone. Wow. And I know everybody didn't stand. I was around, but just mouths were open. And then people just started cheering him. And you know, the dude was having problems. Right. Wow. But they stood up and cheered him, and he ran <laughs> in his cowboy hat all the way up the field. So, yeah, they, there was quite a presence with the old Colts. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, for those of us old enough to, <laughs> to and Back in the day, a lot of those guys didn't have, they weren't making the money they was making now. So, like, Geno subs and stuff like that. Like, y'all know, like, you, it, it may have been certain parts of New York where guys, you know, that was their off season, so they spent a lot of time in the community and stuff. They had Jim Parker's liquor store. Mm-hmm. That, that was exactly yep. it. He had Willie Richardson was a black uh, receiver. He had a liquor store up at Park Heights and Belvedere for a while. wasn't mm-hmm. nearly as successful as Jim Parker's, but uh, it was there for a while. It had his name on it. How, how was Baltimore City back then? Like the Seg- neighborhood segregated. <laughs> really? Well. Uh, you know, we were talking about this little. My my experience growing up, I did not grow up in in the heat of the city. I was, you know, blessed. That's the only way I can say it. I was blessed because you can't pick your parents. But I was born to two particularly wonderful people who did a lot of stuff with their lives. My father was a lawyer and a judge. My mother was an educator. So I grew up in this really nice middle class existence. Even the house across the street, it, it was in a nice area, <laughs> and you know, at this park right across the street. And we could, uh, you know, you know, do that kind of stuff. So growing up, I grew up in a, a community called Ashburton mm-hmm. uh, in Baltimore. It's, it's still there. And I guess my mom ended up owning the house for 40-some-odd years. But we were a middle-class African-America, African-American community. Our family doctor lived across the street from us. Our oh. next-door neighbor was a major in the service. We had a police detective lived across the street this way. So everybody in and my father was a judge. My mother was a, a school teacher. And that was the neighborhood. Um, so where I grew up, we had a park. Everybody had a bike. You know, we, we could roam the neighborhood. But, you know, you travel 15, 20 minutes in another direction, and there was just something else going on. So, you know, our, I came from two large families. My father's one of 12 kids, and my mother's one of six. Mm. And not everybody in the family was as successful or however you want to, you know, talk about that. So, I mean, I had family lived all over the place. Appleton Street, Pulaski Street, <laughs> you know, all over West Baltimore. So I'm, we're all over there all the time, too. So you see stuff and you know that something's going on here that ain't going on up here. <clears throat> so, uh, but Baltimore was very segregated back then. Um Donald Pomelo was the police commissioner. I don't, do y'all know about him? I have no idea. He, he was, I don't, you know, I don't want, it's not so much that bad man, but he, he was just uh, not as bad as Bull Con or anything like that, but 
Okay, here's a little story. I was on the safety patrol in elementary. My like, man. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Hey, safety right. patrol. And, and, and not only that. I'm an orange bag. <laughs> I was a captain. See, was no, a captain. y'all, we had white canvas be- uh, oh, yeah, belts and just regular. But, but I was the cap. I was lieutenant my, my, my fifth grade year. And my sixth grade year, I was the captain. So I was, I was the main guy. So we had to go to this little... Um, it was a little program. I was school in the summer. It was the three days. And I'll never forget this because I know they thought it was crazy. At one point, they told us that the safety patrol could get these things like parking tickets. And if, you know, cars were parked in the walk where we were trying to cross through, we could put these little nonsensical parking tickets. So being the captain of the police force, I wrote a letter to Commissioner Donald Pomelo. And... One day, we in class in the sixth grade, and the lady comes in the office and says, we got this letter from, for John Hargrove, and it was addressed to Captain John Hargrove. Wow. wow. And I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> Police commissioner. And open the letter, and basically the gist of the letter was, whatever they told you, we ain't got that for you. But I like your spirit, son. Go lock him up. You know, it was, it, 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 it was good just so, to hear. But oh, the Holy point man. was, that was my first kind of, then you grow up, um, let's go to let me see 60 do y'all remember the Vini brothers anybody remember them no mm. uh, see y'all young folks I'm sorry I feel like I'm you know how did I <laughs> get to okay. be okay this is back before the public defenders one Christmas Eve over in East Baltimore Greenmount North Avenue 21st 22nd somewhere over there mm-hmm. something went down and a police lieutenant was killed Another police officer was shot. It was crazy. And two Vini brothers, Earl and Sam Vini, were ultimately arrested and convicted for this. And I studied the case in law school because the police kicked in every house within a two. I mean, they had no warrants. And that's what the case was. We studied about you need a warrant to go into people's houses right. uh, like that. But there was no public defender system. And um, my father was appointed. He was... A, an attorney at the time, practicing attorney, and he was appointed to represent one of them. And it was real big, and it was so big, they moved the trial to Frederick. Now, uh-huh. I don't know if you know much about Frederick. I was simply, but, but in 1962, see, this, that's when it was. Wow. I mean, <laughs> it was, I don't know if there were even any black people out in Frederick. I was going to no. say that. But it wasn't a good thing for They me. moved the Again, I'll tell you, the way I grew up, everything was always cool but for me because my father and it was never a problem. It's kind of one of the weird things. You understand sh- sh- stuff going on. <laughs> right. Edit that. Stuff going on around you, but doesn't uh, impact you. But I know one day my brother, my mother dressed my brother and I up in our best clothes, and we drove to Frederick to watch my father defend Sam or Earl, I can't remember which one it was. Mimi. Um, and it was, I, my remembrance was I just thought he was a nice guy, the defendant. I kept telling my mother that he looks like such a nice guy. <laughs> and he actually gets convicted of killing an officer. And I'm, I guess he did it. I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I'm saying it, the Baltimore Police Department at that time, when I was under Parmalone, there was always this grind in, in, in certain neighborhoods with the police. And certain neighborhoods, they weren't. I said that that was Donald Parmelo. So I had that experience with him, him actually writing me a letter. But history will probably show him as, or as I've said often, 
the issues that I see between the police and the community now have existed for a very long time. And I go back, that's when I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. And I go back seeing that. So, but but everything changed. And Baltimore was very segregated to actually answer your question. Okay. You know, middle class blacks lived here. <laughs> there were no, there was maybe one or two white families that were still living in Ashburn when we first moved in. My parents bought the house. It, you, you guys, once again, I think you'll be too young. There used to be Epstein department stores. I heard about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've seen pictures. My, pic, my parents bought the house from Epstein's, the house we moved in. So the neighborhood we moved into, Ashburton, had been a Jewish neighborhood mm-hmm. that then middle-class black moved in. And that's, that's what happened in late 50s, early 60s. You know, the physicians, doctors. Kurt Smoke, Mayor Baltimore, lived mm-hmm. in Ashburton for a long time, right around the corner from where I grew up. Uh, so th- that became that kind of neighborhood. So that was the kind of thing I grew up with. But that that doesn't mean you don't experience stuff. I got stopped by the police once so I was a little boy just walking through the neighborhood. It was unusual because there wasn't a lot of police presence <laughs> in our neighborhood because there wasn't a lot going on. Right. Um, but there, there was always somebody to let you know that you were different. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of followed me through life. You know what I did? I went to private school. So mm-hmm. I went to school with a lot of white kids. Mm-hmm. And I got a great education. I went to Gilman School. I'll, I'll give them a shout-out because I give Gilman School credit for just about everything I've ever done in my life. That would include law school <laughs> and all that. I wasn't necessarily the greatest student. I could get good grades. But I wasn't a great student. And uh, so Gilman helped out a lot. But you go to school in a different culture. And it's interesting. You got you exposed. Go- yeah, well, it, it's two things. It's a double-edged sword. I've already told people, I grew up and I was educated like white folks are educated who are running the world because I went, classmate of mine was CEO of Leg Mason a few mm. years ago. Mm. So, you know, that's the, the folks, you know, I, I went to school with folks that money came on the Mayflower, as we used to say. Old money. You ain't seen money until you've seen old money. Old money. Old money. <laughs> now you talking. Old money, you the best money. <laughs> and then not too many black folks got old money. Right. But I went to school with a lot of kids with old money. I went to school with kids. Their grandparent, grandfather went to Gilman School. You know, where I'm there. I'm there when the first blacks graduate. Stu Sims, Greg Emery, mm-hmm. Dave Robinson, and uh, Willard Wiggins. Um, year and a half ago, Gilman had a big ceremony, 50th anniversary. Had a great big banquet. It was a wonderful wow, occasion. Wow, Mr. All the all the 50 years of black graduates from wow. Gilman School. Wow, it, it was a huge thing. It was wonderful. <clears throat> Uh, so I say, so so you get acclimated a certain way, and then you you're the one. Let's just say something goes down, or you know, in the sixties and stuff, there was a lot of civil unrest. So I got to go to school and got to explain it. Like you know, I'm the authority. Why are black people acting like that? You know, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm as curious as you are. Right, I'm trying to find out. But but that's that's how that affects you. Right. That's how that affects you. And then you got to come home to your community and everybody think you sold out because you're in a coat and tie and you're getting home after dark because that's how private school works. Okay? Right. You're there all day long and, and you with, with athletics and stuff. But mm-hmm. I got back after dark, 6 mm-hmm. o'clock. So you caught so, it from everybody. But but the thing that benefits me is but I saw everything. So I had to learn to deal in two communities. Most of the white kids I went to school with, they don't have to deal in the black community. They, you know, they just don't. I got to deal in every community. So most black people have to deal in every community. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, that was the difference. And then I went to an even wider college, Washington and Lee University. You may have heard of it. It's all embroiled in a lot of hoopla now. About mm -hmm. Robert E. Lee is the Washington and Lee. Mm -hmm. And the faculty has recently voted to recommend removing Lee. And there's student groups that want to keep it. And there's student groups that want to get rid of it. And How become, do you feel about that? Um, okay. I got to back that up to say that I was a part of an organization called Sabu, Student Association of Black Unity, while I was there. Life was difficult for black students at Washington and Lee University back when I was there in the early 70s and the mid-70s. Sabu was a wonderful organization. I'm still very close friends with most of the guys and we routinely get together. But there was a somewhat antagonistic relationship between the school and the administration and the black students for a lot of different reasons. For example, the... Uh, School College Republican Club was one of the largest in the country at the time. And they had a uh, editorial in their newsletter once that said, Black ain't beautiful. And the thesis of their editorial was they were pissed off at the arrogance, etc. that the black students showed to them. Now, I admit, the brothers did go visit the dude at 2 in the morning because of some stuff he said. <laughs> I admit that. <laughs> but, but the tone of the article, that, that was the relationship. And the relationship was better with faculty members than with the students because the students, tell you another story, I got a lot of stories, cut me off <laughs> if you get tired of my stories. When I first got there, I told you, I came out of Gilman School, white, white, and all that, whole bunch of guys going to WNL from Gilman School. So I joined the white fraternity when I first got there, all these guys. And that. What was the name of the frat? Huh? What was the name of the frat? Beta Theta Pi. Nice. I mean, I still remember this song. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to talk about that's the what's up. <laughs> but the point was you that your nerve shit. That, that, that's where I was when I got out of Gilman School. I was like, "Hey, these boys like me. This is blast." I was I played a lot of sports. You know, I was I was popular. You go to the parties and you have a good time, and everybody, you know, everybody was pretty cool. Was, everybody's pretty cool, but you just don't know. There's two stories I gotta tell you. There's a uh, Wally Gilman School. There's the Morgan and Merlard was a, a soda fountain pharmacy it was down the street. It's a restaurant now, but it's still in there. We would go down there all the time with our white classmates and eat. Never have a problem. One time, there's a brother in my class. He and I went down there to get lunch. We sat at the counter for 45 minutes. No one came up to us, and the worst thing was all the waitresses were elderly black women. And they ignored us for 45 minutes, and we got up and left. And that's the only time we ever went in that place, so we weren't in there with our white kids. So, yeah, you can go to school with white kids and all that, but you keep getting told you black. <laughs> Something happened. So, segue, we in college now, and I'm happy-go-lucky. I'm in the, in the white fraternity, and I'm having a good time. And it came up and I'm our pledge that the upperclassmen, and I don't mean to incite or indict white guys, but they do a lot of drinking and get drunk in college. If you ever saw the movie Animal House, that's what of Washington course. and the university looked like. In uh, seriously, in the in the uh, the fraternities. That's scene. every fucking time. So well <laughs> but particularly Washington and Lee, deep okay. in the south and yeah, you know, it's embedded with all kinds of stuff. Washington's George Washington, Lee was Robbie Lee. Lee and his whole family buried on campus, still mm -hmm. are. In Lee wow. Chapel. The whole school's a National Historic Landmark. And it, when all that goes with that. What state is it in? Virginia. Virginia. It's in Lexington, Virginia. Okay. So, 
it become the, the upper classmen getting drunk every weekend, busting up the furniture in the house, busting out the windows. And as pledges, all we did the next week was put windows back in, Clean fix furniture. Yeah. And we were getting tired of that. So a bunch of us in a car, and we're from Baltimore, and I'm from private school in Baltimore. And so we're driving around, and basically everybody's airing their differences with uh, this guy. And at one point, I'm sitting in the back, and a dude driving the car said, you know, they acting just like them niggas in downtown Baltimore. And then something just like that, real silent. And then if I had this one time, uh, if I had a nickel for every time I heard this, he turned around and said, oh, 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 Johnny, we saw, you know, we don't think about you like that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Going to school like this, we don't think about you like that. But what the hell do you think about? I mean, that's, I never asked mm. him that, but... Uh, my eighth grade year, gentlemen, sitting in on the weekend, a guy in my class who I considered a friend, we played sports together, grew up. I hate niggas on the back of his army jacket, man, on campus. It's like crazy. mid 60s, late 60s. And, you know, I've never forgot it. I never said anything to him. Uh, you know, you know, you get conflicted about stuff. So that's how W. Noah and Washington Lee go to the library. I hate niggas written all over the wall. It's a crazy place. To be a black student at the time we were down there. So we had Sabu and we wore jean jackets with a Sabu patch on the back. And pretty much everybody was scared of us. Or that was how we it was perceived. So it's safe to say when you got on Sabu, you was you was no longer uh, a frat member of uh Oh no, I that ended my freshman year. As a matter of fact, that started segueing over the course of my f- freshman year. I'm gonna tell you a good story and I'm gonna throw a shout out to a brother named Bob Fort. He's a brother that was two years ahead of me at Washington Lee University and helped me keep my sanity. The summer before I went to Washington Lee University, they have this Facebook, and the doorbell rang, and the door knocked at my house, and I opened the door, and this brother's standing there. My name is Robert Ford. I understand you're going to be going to Washington Lee University. Well, Ford became my guardian angel. From that point forward, that brother watched me and kept me out of trouble and kept me straight, including my entire freshman year where I was most standoffish with other black students. He kept saying, give him some space. He'll be all right. Give him some space. So then ultimately that's what happened. So I had somebody like Ford down there. And, and the group Sabu was very cohesive. It, it was a family. I mean, we would talk about each other's family. I mean, to this day, we just had a Zoom breakfast a week and a half ago. Something like so, the gentleman name was Ford? Robert Ford. So, you met him before? Never to the, until he rang that doorbell and I opened the door. I never knew Ford in my life. And I, we still stay in touch. He's the one that's kept everybody together. He's just that that kind of guy. Now, I can't tell you about the things he did at school. I wouldn't do that to him because he was, as they say, a legend in his own time. Okay. <laughs> Before it was a straight-up brother, he kept everything straight. And that, and that, you know, I would be betraying wildness if I got any farther before. But that was our existence. That was existence. So I think your original question was, you know, how was it? That's how it was. I was over here. Being the first black guy doing this and the first one in this school and the second one over here. And then there's this going on over here. And then to come around circle and I come back 1976, want to be an actor, but get a job in the court system. And here we are at 2021. I'm still working in the court system. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how I went. You know, and I was a theater major at uh, in college. So I, I struck out I was going to be this famous actor that didn't work. So. Who, who was your favorite? Who was your favorite actor? 
You know, I you know people John Gilgood and people you probably heard. Who? He's a, he's a, yeah. See, I'm telling you not. Like, I mean, I said I, I, stu- I studied not not some. There were a lot of people I liked, but I, I mean, I studied theater in London one semester. Wow. For example, so the, the, the world of theater, like everything else, don't include a whole lot of black people at a lot of times. You know, so you have your Paul Roberson, for example, mm-hmm. who was way before Sidney Poitier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have those people. You had your Bill Crosby. You know, mm-hmm. you sit all that right. mess aside. <laughs> and but but you had you, you, you Bill Cosby's and the people like that. And then Red Fox, and Richard Pryor, Red, Red, <laughs> Danny Glover. Danny Glover was my hero. Red Fox was one of my parents' generation's favorite comedians. And what I didn't know is back in the day, he used to make these like underground type of tapes. They were like funky, kind of racy and stuff. So one uh, Thanksgiving, my wife and I have my parents and her parents over for, I think it was Thanksgiving dinner. And we go out and rent a Red Fox tape because we think it'd be cool, you know, because our fathers, you know, they that's they, they grew up on Myrtle Avenue. My father and my father-in-law grew up on Myrtle Avenue in Southwest Baltimore, Block mm. apart, Block apart. So they knew each other. Yeah, I know, I know my wife since we were little kids. Not like this, but she look at and uh no i mean seriously right. there was no, there was no. a time from i was 16 to 20 we didn't see each other right. 16 right. and 28 we got reacquainted but um damn i forgot what i was talking about just that fast so. all right so we get we get this yeah we get this tape because we think we're doing something within five minutes after he's talking about hash mark and draws and just all this filthy stuff coming out of the mouth is very uncomfortable. <laughs> my, my mother, <laughs> we have to turn the tape off. So it was Red Fox. So Red so, so it was all those TV. But you know, I was steeped in like theater, theater. You know, like I mean, it doesn't sound right, but you know, like, like, like I like, like going up to Broadway and seeing okay, stuff. Yeah, like, I, I, you was I, on I, your uh, yeah Romeo and Juliet shit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, right, right. I got a buddy that he just retired. He's a member of Actors Equity, and he. Um, was a stage manager is what he mainly did and they have to be members of actors equity and you know so we you know it was just it was a way of life so i guess you know my little existence was a little different you know i ain't merit major in business or political science no man I was theater i like hr puffing stuff you know <laughs> that was see y'all don't know nah, that was I mean, on HR tv puffing. when i was a little too it was a little kitty show hr and i was used to be fascinated with hr puffing stuff what I modern said, day what modern day actor would be your type of actor? Oh what, man, would be a signature of you. A lot. Right? Well, I don't know about me, but Denzel, uh, you know, uh, Washington, he's acting, uh, an actor. I've seen him on Broadway. I've seen you know his films. He's, Lawrence he, Fishburne. His Lawrence, although I have, that's funny. Yes, he's a good actor, but there, I don't know if you know, but there is an organization of black judges, the Harry A. Cole Judicial Council, and. Um, when, who was getting retired? Lawrence Fishburne was doing Thurgood Marshall's show, One Man Show in D.C. Mm-hmm. And it did never never worked out, but we were going to go, the, the group was trying to get tickets and all that. And as a part of it, uh, Ari Davis, I don't know if you know Judge Ari Davis, I clerked for him when he was a circuit court judge. And then he went on to the Court of Special Appeals. He was retiring, and to honor him, they were trying to get Lawrence Fishburne to sign a poster of the Thurgood show. And we were going to give it to him at the thing. And one of our colleagues wrote an email 
to Mr. Fishburne to ask for this, and unfortunately misspelled his name. Well, how about if, that? If, if it was L-A-W, it was spelled L-A-U, or if we said L-A-U, it was L-A-W, and the response was simply, he spelled his name right, and it was something real curt, but right back when you get this right or something. Damn. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I was right like, back when you get my name, or it might not even been that. It just or it just went back with the right name. But mm-hmm. needless to say, it did not happen. The poster, the sign, but he's a heck, heck of an actor, you know. And then you know, lately, just like anybody, he does what was the ride along movies. I mean, I don't mind brother getting paid, but that's nothing. But Boys in the Hood, for example. You know, mm-hmm. Furious Styles. I mean, you know, that was a great character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the father, the, the one father in the life of these yeah, brothers. Right. In mm-hmm. Boys and Hood. Especially during that time. Right. Yeah, so. That, those movies are dated. Now, I'm afraid to watch Menace to Society again. I'm afraid it would scare me. <laughs> Seeing O-Dog and his crew. <laughs> <laughs> Get a double burger with cheese. Because... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if you saw this because I, I follow a lot of social media, but recently somebody who was, it was a black actor or something, he was writing for a favor from somebody he wanted to get something, and the person sent him back the clip. Remember when O-Dog shoots the crackhead, the dude just keeps, come on, come on, let me have it, let me eat. He said, I'll, yeah. yeah. Right. And he shoots him, and he sent him back that basically to say, are you looking for a favor? And it was Mm-hmm. On this Twitter feed, just a lot of Hi, yeah. How you gonna send that? Back? It was a white guy. Send it back. Right. Really? Oh, yeah. You gonna send me that clip back? Because I'm asking you for a favor, right? Uh, you know, I don't know, but you know, it's life. Uh, <laughs> that's one thing I've learned. Is life is funny. What, what do you think, as far as like actors? What do you think about like Michael B. Jordan? I like him. See, I've liked him since The Wire, right? And, and Wallace in The Wire, and. um yeah, he's hitting it right now. That you know, he was great in the Black Panther movie. I just like the brother and and Creed. Uh, Creed. He, I, I thought he was pretty good in Creed, but it's not so much how well he doesn't have, but who can work. Like Daniel Kalu, whose name I can't say. Daniel Kalu. He was in Get Out. Yes, mm-hmm. right. He was y'all, also in Black Panther. Y'all yeah. seen Judas and the Black Messiah? Amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he's nominated for that this year. Uh, he better get that award. Mm-hmm. He might not. There's a lot of company. He didn't win the Golden Globe, I don't think. And uh, what was his look? What's the guy that played the, the uh, informant? He he was in Get Out also. He played the guy whose identity got taken in uh, Get Out. Lakeith oh, Stanley. Or yeah. Le- uh, they're both nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Mm. And, I'll tell you, another movie just throwing out movies ain't the only black person is kind of consequential, but the... Uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven. So the thing is running on Netflix. It's yeah. a, again, it's a trial drama. <laughs> so you know, I mean, it yeah. may not be for everybody, but I, I certainly uh, enjoyed that stuff. But yeah, there are a lot of young actors. But the guy, uh, Jordan Peele, and that crew of people, uh, uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there are a lot of folks out there now. The trick is, can they work? Ryan Coogler, the director, mm-hmm. who gets a lot of this stuff done. You know, so Tyler Perry with his little plant in Atlanta where everybody's making their movies. Yeah. Apparently. Mm-hmm. There's even some brothers got a mansion he rents out for a movie. I can't remember his name. He Rick bought, Ross. Rick Ross. Is it okay? The guy yeah. is the, the big place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just making a killing. Um, Wait, yeah. Rick Ross. Yeah. 
He rent his mansion, right? Yeah, yeah. coming okay. to America was yeah. done in his house. Right. Yeah, but he exactly. rents his mansion all the time. All the time. Yeah. And he said he's like, it's been paid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. the and then, you know, Atlanta is a big hub for just filmmaking mm-hmm. ge- generally. So. Yeah. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff, you know, now. I just, I just like stuff to touch me emotionally somehow. I don't care if it makes me cry, makes me laugh, makes me mad, angry. Just to me, theater and art is about touching an emotion somewhere. No, evoke something. If I'm just sitting there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Okay, I mean that's great, but but if you got me on the edge of my seat or you got me with tears rolling down my eyes just because of something I'm watching, that's what I'm talking about. That's exactly. Or scare the hell out of me. I don't necessarily like a lot of horror movies, <laughs> but if you can scare me, I'm I'm down with that. <laughs> so speaking of that, did you ever get? Did you watch Your Honor? I have heard of it, and I've never seen it. I've heard several people have mentioned it to me. My, my, What's the name of it? it Your Honor. Your Honor. Is it good? What, what channel? It's based on a judge uh, yeah. in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I want to say Showtime. Okay. Oh it's my one God. of the, the judge in the uh, the trial of Chicago Seven is is so off the wall. I was coming to some other. I said I, I, he couldn't have been like that. He was so bad. But they do a disclaimer up that seventy eight percent of the attorneys in Chicago voted that he was unqualified to be judge. And and in the film, he is horrible. Particularly with Bobby Seale. So in the film, there are actually eight defendants, and Bobby Seale is, you know, yeah, what's, it, what's it called? Alert! Alert! Yeah, yeah Bobby Seale's let out of the trial. Gotcha. At one point, which then became the Oh, seven. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, See, on mis- Honor, a mistrial was declared. On Your Honor, he's actually a phenomenal judge. Okay. But like very crafty. I don't want to give it away, but mm-hmm. I was just asking if you watched yeah, that. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, and you know, judges get portrayed funny. Like cousin Vinny got one of the funniest judges I've never seen. Fred, mm-hmm. Fred Gwynn. The two you what did you say? You know, youths. so you the can run youths. again. The two you the two you well that, that was Pesci, but the, the judge was just incredulous <laughs> about everything he was doing. And he's the did you just say youths? Or something like that. And um so but you know, I'm also like a big Stephen King fan. I like like Lovecraft. Country, y'all see that? Yeah, uh, buddy, love it. Got the magic back. Got the magic back. Um, Amazing. And I'm a big Stephen King fan. So uh, there's a the series, the uh, Mr. Mercedes. It's on. Just finished third season on Peacock. It's about a series of books that Stephen King wrote. It's, it's waxed up. I mean, <laughs> uh, The Outsider by the by the boogeyman i mean the, the book was great yeah, the I tv i'm not watching that the t yeah and uh, i mean and yeah <laughs> that's the kind of stuff i like uh, i like growing, a lot of stuff. growing up in baltimore mm-hmm. um did you ever meet um you or your dad was ever close before ever met thurgood marshall my father knew him and if so they if worked you, together on a case once how how was that you being younger and knowing? And I, I didn't know about it. This is something my father talked about. So Thurgood Marshall was a little bit older than my father, mm-hmm. and as you know, he was very much involved in the board, uh, Brown versus Board of Education mm-hmm. cases and all that. And that's I think where my father had some contact with him. Now my father was also one of the first African American graduates of the University of Maryland Law School. Mm-hmm. Him and Juanita Jackson Mitchell were yeah. classmates. Everybody got named. Uh, what was Koga's last name? Oh boy, can't remember Mr. Koga's yeah. last name. But they were they were in the same class. Nineteen fifty came out of um, 
University of Maryland. Yeah, back yeah. then, I'll tell you, once again, to read back to the racial thing, in the 1950s, black folks could not take a bar review course, which yep. I'm telling you now, you, you do not pass the bar unless you yeah. take the bar. You just can't. It's like that. I've read that about SATs that. or something. You got to figure out the trick. And, you know, there's a trick to doing that stuff. You got to figure that out. So my father had a Jewish classmate that would give him his book. So, I mean, that, this is how well, things had yeah. to get done back then. Him and Juanita Mitchell studied for the bar together. I remember him telling me the stories about that. One of the Mitchell boys, not not Clarence, what was one of the... Yeah, hey, I mean, Clarence been, Mitchell Courthouse. Well, that's the... That's, that's the... Clarence Jr. That is Clarence... Uh, see, I'm, I'm, I'm Michael. They had four sons. That, mm-hmm. They were in there. So Clarence Jr. But And then there's... C four, right? mm-hmm. um, but but they were all close. So that was the group of people that grew up, and they drew it Avenue, the Y. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where the black community in West Baltimore was kind of based. So yeah, my father was a judge. But he grew up in West Baltimore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he grew up on Myrtle Avenue. Right. Twelve twelve hundred North. He one of them was in the twelve hundred block. One was in the thirteen hundred block. My father, mm-hmm. and my father. Yeah, that borders the central. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so, uh, and, you know, of course, it was a very different neighborhood back then. But, um, so that's the thing. So, yeah, I kind of grew up in another generation, but my father grew up, and my mother grew up in a very segregated time. Yeah. And they were treated as such. Like I said, father couldn't even take a Barbie course. I remember, when, I remember when they were saying that, um, that um, Thurgood Marshall, because he couldn't, like, if y'all can imagine, like, you know, not having a car or anything, and because he couldn't go to University of Maryland, he wanted to go to law school so bad. He mm-hmm. had to catch the bus to D.C. Yeah, he went to he school law school every day. And, and like, then as soon as he passed, mm-hmm. his first case was suing University of Maryland for Absolutely. I can't remember the So they would have the beneficiaries, you know, so his pops would have been beneficiaries of that because they were, you know, and then his pops, I heard a lot of cases and things he took on. As well during that time. When I went to you, now I went to University of Maryland Law School also, but it was a very different school than the University of Maryland my father went to. And it's a very different school than the school is actually there now because they mm-hmm. knocked the school I went to down and built this magnificent thing up. Mm-hmm. But the library when I was there was named after Thurgood Marshall. He refused to come to the dedication. He was not there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, that's how I felt about, yeah. <laughs> about the well, University of Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> and, wow. But he did. He did come back and sue and got admission for two. There were two brothers admitted to University of Maryland Law School, black, like in either the late 1800s or the early 1900s, and then crazy stuff happened. Okay. And then he couldn't, and then Thurgood had to sue to yeah. get back in. But Thurgood probably, or Mr. Marshall, I'm talking about him like I knew the guy. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, he... Um, was a lot of the, with his work with the NAACP and in Baltimore about the, the school cases, there were school cases going on all over the place. I think Bob Watts, who became a judge on the circuit court, I think he worked a lot with Thurgood Marshall uh, on those cases. They had, they had a lot of lawyers working. Uh, you know, they just, they, uh, there was a guy named Ben Foreman who lived down the street from us on Longwood Street, that place where we were across the park with Black Hole Split. And he was a mentor to my father. My, my father's first law office, he worked in the practice with him. You know, it's on Pleasant Street downtown, actually, where the building was. But that's how, they, you know, there wasn't no state's attorney's office. Uh, so, you know, black attorney coming out in the 50s, you hung up a shingle and you went somewhere. Then my father became the first deputy U.S. attorney in Maryland. So he, he was able, and these other brothers had a great career. But, 
you know, I got out of law school. I went to a big law firm. <laughs> I went to attorney general. My father couldn't have done any of that. That, that just simply Times. was not available. They, they paid the way. Oh, man, yeah. They, they, they paid the way. I've told people this a hundred times. What he did and when he did it, to me, is nothing I could ever do. I mean, I just, I tell if I'm half the guy he was, uh, I'm okay with that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, my life was easy, comparatively speaking. I mean, I'm junior, you know. So everywhere I go, are you related to? I mean, even court. I used to go to court all over the state. I'd identify for something. John Harger Jr., yada, yada, sister, general. And the very next question at the judge's mouth was, you related? Yeah. yeah. And then one time on the Eastern Shore, the judge started out, I got ready, and he asked me about my brother, who had been in a band that played at a wedding that this judge went to. And I don't know how he know that, but it's the <laughs> one and only time in my legal career that I got asked, do you have a brother named Steven? But they always ask me about my father. Right. We, we're the same name. The same name. And uh, <laughs> I mean, just just took me back. No, and I think he thought it was me. I said, that's my brother. Yeah. And then I found I was a good friend of mine's sister's wedding. It was on Eastern Shore. I wasn't there, but obviously my brother was right. playing playing in the band. So uh that's, that's, that's something it's you know, thinking about this now. Old days, because I'm realizing how much younger y'all are than me, <laughs> and that's part of it, it too. We were talking somewhere, and we told us, "Oh, Sabu, I was telling you about about four or five years ago. It was right when I retired. So it'd be seven years ago. The school got away from Sabu, got rid of it altogether. They had some multi diversity, some some and some, and they finally came back and acknowledged and let Sabu come back." And that's basically when I started, for 20-some years, I had nothing to do with school. Most of us didn't, and we started coming back 10 or 15 years ago. But they had a big ball. We used to have something called the Black Ball. It was former Black Women College, and they had a big one. We were honored, and they had all this, and we're standing there. And amongst other things, you have all these young white students coming up this bleeding heart. I'm so sorry you had to go through what you had to go through. And I'm like, you know, maybe your grandfather should be saying this. But, you know, you didn't have to. <laughs> it's okay. We're having a good time. They got liquor at the bar. We, we're okay, you know. But and that's what you get. It's like, and we were saying, when did we become history? <laughs> and no, you yeah, laugh, Chris. No, but no, but that's, think that's about it. Yeah, I'm talking about that, stuff that happened 50 years ago, yeah. 40 years ago. I'm a historian now. When did that happen? I looked yeah. at myself in the mirror a few years ago, and I had these short pants, and I looked like my father's legs. And I said, "When the hell did I turn into my father?" Yeah. It happens, man. You know, so. I'm growing up, these guys are historians, and we're talking about their story, and now people are asking me about my experiences. Wow. And it's 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 mind-bending uh, to think about it like that for two reasons. Number one, you're getting old. <laughs> and I'm getting serious. Wiser. You know, I just turned 67. 67 oh, was, wow. yeah. Six, I, 67 I was the first Look one good, to let you know 70s right on the horizon, yeah. okay? 66 was cool. 67 brought me pause, okay, for example. And then now you realize, I just did a thing. There's, how to explain this? Because I like to talk to you. There's, we had a law clerk who went to an upper bound program, Dunlop Community College, got me involved with them a couple of years ago. As a result of that, the woman who runs the program reached out to me recently. Her son was doing a project for his, I think he's a middle schooler, 
and they were doing it on unsung heroes, but it had to do with people that most people wouldn't know about. And she and him thought they wanted to do it about my father. So I did two different Zooms, and they recorded with this kid. And I'm telling the story. I mean, it's cathartic for me talking about it. And um, I said it to him again. It's just, I said, I, you know, I just never knew I'd be the historian or, you know, I would yeah. be the history person telling stories about this is what it used to be. And this kid's maybe, you know, 12. So everything I'm telling, you know, hey. he's like, he's looking at me like, dude, oh. <laughs> but he, he tells me, he smiles, he said, I really enjoy this. And he told his mother that. She told me that later. He said, I just like listening to old people tell stories. Now, he could have left the old people part out and I'd have been on. <laughs> But that but that is what he said and I mean I'm not bad at him, I understand, but that's what I deal with now. Thinking, dude, you retired. I've been retired for a while. Yeah. But like I said, I I went when I could and like I couldn't think of a reason not to. So I've I've always wondered if people like your dad, people like Thurgood Marshall, people like Dr. King would look at some of these young kids and all the things that that you all have done, paved the way, done these things, even in whether been a small way or big way, would they be happy or would they be upset? Because in my opinion, it's it's 50 50 some days, mm-hmm. but I feel like some of the things that they fought for mm-hmm. is now falling by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Or and some I, of the and things I think where, you're right to a degree. If it were, you know, like if something had my namesake on mm-hmm. it. And it wasn't representing what mm. I was trying to represent mm-hmm. 90% of my life. Because everybody's mm. flawed. But 90% of the things that are going on represents what they're doing. Mm. And then they see some of this. I, I'm, You know, so I wondered, you know, yeah. the things you grew yeah, up around. It's, too, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a very thought-provoking question. I think my father's generation did all they could. They're all dead now. To lead the way and set an example. But at some point, you got to pass it on you pass it off to the next generation. So I'm just saying it's up to the next and the next to start to do things. They, you know, as far as the African-American legal community, Larry Gibson could give you the stats. In 1977, they were only X amount of African-American attorneys admitted to the bar in Maryland. And that number just went nuts after 1977. And it became many more black attorneys. So these guys are leading the way for the next group of whoever. So, but with the generations come a change in everything. So, you know, now we're in COVID. You know, we everybody done turned topsy-turvy uh, for the last year. Um, social things, you know, the economically in the country, the, the, the gap between the middle, the upper, and the, you know, it's just going in the wrong direction. So people are being more affected and, Politically, and I don't necessarily want to get in a political discussion, but right now it's 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 insane. Nobody, you know, it's us or them. It's nobody's working together. So I say that to say things are going to get bad, and there's not a whole lot of people to sit there and try to, you know, do something about it. And the guys that did, by example, do something about it aren't here anymore. They've left their example, and and it's a huge example. You know, I'm I'm living proof of that. All these guys that are out here, all, you know, all the African-American judges I served with, the, the Bells, that generation, we all have this group, Harry Cole, Bob Watts, my father, uh, Ken Johnson, uh, Dave Mason, Dave Mason's first black court of special appeals. He was in a law practice with my father. 
in the early wow. 60s. My father was in a law practice with Joe Howard, Charlie Howard, Dave Mason, uh, Jim Bundy, who was a district, PM district mm-hmm. with Howard and Hargo for five years. They had, they were like two or three black law firms. My father's was one, Brown and Watts was one, and then uh, George Russell's firm, I forget what the name of that was. But there, there was a time, and you don't necessarily see that too much anymore. But, you know, this that's what they were doing. And, um, but then they all went on, just about everybody else got appointed to the bench. So that's what happened. You know, they lead the practice of law. And they went on the bench. So Joe Howard, my father, ultimately went on the federal bench. Joe Howard was a circuit court judge. My father was a circuit court judge. My father was a district court judge and the first administrative judge in the district court. So they all did that. Dave Mason, Court of Special Appeals. Huh? Yeah. Milton Allen. I don't know. Y'all are too young to know. He was a colorful brother. Y'all know anything about Milton Allen? No. He was my senior year in high school. He ran a campaign and won the state's attorney race in Baltimore city. He was actually the state's attorney in Baltimore city African McLaurin. And he eventually went on the bench. I can't remember if he ran and went on the bench. He got appointed, but he was just, he was a firebrand. He was something else. Everybody liked Milton. He was just, just one of those guys. So these guys were all real smart, but they had come through a lot in a time where you just can't even imagine. Like I said, I, for me, like I had it easy, man. It, you know, I just people, doors were opening up for me. Oh, you so and so son, and so that's just my personal experience. But it wasn't like that for everybody. But then you hear things like I have a very close friend now who, in a somewhat, I won't say drunken, but we were drinking at the time, <laughs> and we were having a, we were just speaking freely and honestly. He told me about how my father had assisted him. Getting law school. Now, this dude wow. right now is a partner, a name partner, one of the most successful medical malpractice firms in the city. And, you know, he, he gets to law school because my father taught. He was a good friend of mine. I had a bunch of friends that I grew up with that we've all remained here and we've all remained friends. And he was one of them. So my father was close with all these guys. And a bunch of us are lawyers, too. But this one he told me, he said, I have to tell you what your father did to get me in law school. And I go, No. And then, uh, oh, this is a story. Elijah Cummings, may he rest in peace. Um, recently, a couple of years ago, I have, my baby sister's a minister. She gave the opening prayer in Congress for the um, House of Representatives. And she got to meet, among other things, we had pictures taken with Nancy Pelosi. It was, it was great. I was over here my daughter. We had a great time. And uh, and they all hated Trump, and it was real clear that <laughs> they did not care for Trump, and that was great. She's but, from Baltimore too, as well, right? Who Nancy Pelosi? Oh, Baltimore City. Her father, her father. and her brother were mayor of Baltimore at different right. times. During that time, Tommy, right? During Tommy the Junior and Tommy the Third. Yep. Absolutely, she's yep. Baltimore girl. And um, so she went, and she stuck around because she wanted to get a picture with Elijah Cummings, and both things happened, and she was able to get that picture. A few months later. My daughter, who's an attorney, went over to it was Black Caucus had something, but she ran into Elijah Cummings, and he'll talk that he's a very friendly guy and got to talking. And she mentioned, he said, "What did you say your name was again?" And she said, "Sidney Hargrove." He said, "Are you related to Judge John?" We're talking about my father, and he tells her a story that when Elijah was a young attorney, <clears throat> just coming out of school or near to it, my father bought him a suit because he was getting ready to go. I never heard wow. that story, and I'm in my 60s at the time I hear this, and Elijah Cummings tells my daughter this story, so this ain't no third. Why? Elijah, the man himself told my 
thought of that and then wrote something in a note and made a reference to it. But, you know, that's how they did. You know, here's yeah. a young Elijah kind of young man. So my father, is he said, hey, man, go get a suit so you can look right. I want you to look right. Wow. So that, you know, that's the kind of stories you hear about these guys. It doesn't happen now. It ain't, ain't working. Like mm. just, just everybody's out for me. Well, not everybody, but right. but you know, it's it was the time when these guys were struggling. wasn't nobody letting them make money anyway, so they just worked on the justice and the right. things. You know, we we can be a voice in court. We can change it there. Now, everybody, you know, I want to make a little bit of money. I want to get on, you know, CNN tonight. I want somebody to see me. So I'm not saying they aren't doing things, but. And meanwhile, socially and everything, things are regressing. So that's the part I don't know what the legal part can do mm-hmm. right. that's a I have a daughter I got covered I got a daughter that's a sociologist she's a professor of sociology at UNC yeah, that was my major alright well see I don't engage in too many conversations with her because number one she's a lot smarter than I am <laughs> are you laughing both my kids <laughs> they, got, they got their mother's genes in wasn't mine <laughs> and uh, <laughs> see but but she is not the one you want to argue with <laughs> Sociological no, she, she gets deep. She gets real she deep, gets deep, and and then gets to the point where there's really nothing you can say. No, <laughs> just nothing you can say. And then I read her papers, and I don't understand what she's talking about. So I used to proofread her papers. I don't, I don't know what she's talking about, and I know she does, and she's well respected in her field and and the whole nine yards. But um, <laughs> God, she's a lot smarter than me. So. I <laughs> She explains stuff to me. I just kind of listen and we move yes, on. Yes, ma'am. And we move on. Right. And my oldest, we, you know, we have talks about law, but like my father and I, every generation think, number one, they smarter than the one before. Right. Because after I became a lawyer after a while, you know, I just knew I knew more than my father knew. I mean, it just it was just clear to me. Anybody <laughs> could see that. He don't know why, oh, man. And when the OJ trial was on, yeah, my father called me a neophyte. It's the only time <laughs> I can remember he called calling me a derogatory name because I was egging him on because I was for the defense for what don't, don't ask me why I'm gonna say it OJ did it okay but <laughs> but, but, he, got, want to start but he got it. he got away with it that's okay yeah, a lot, lot of people a lot of people a lot of people uh you know get away with stuff of different hues I mean mm-hmm. it's not like this is the first time something like this has happened in the court right. of law so it's just maybe first time happened to somebody of color but but he, but this happens all the time. You got a little money, but um, but he and I would, you know, I was one of the first televised crimes. And my father, I told you, he's a government man, government man. He was a U.S. attorney, deputy attorney. He would tell you his finest days as a lawyer was when he was a prosecutor for federal government. I and I told you, nineteen February of nineteen fifty eight, Ebony Magazine did an article about my father. Me and my brother, at three and two years old, are in that magazine. I still have it on PDF. Uh, yeah, yeah, 1958, me and my brother. And you know how the Ebony used to do? Uh, All the scenes, his mother and his brothers and sisters <laughs> over on the table. And him and my mother kissing me and my brother, because my sisters weren't here then. In the bed, and then, you know, it was this, oh, you know, it was the whole Ebony treat. The whole movie. Whole, the whole thing. I can't remember when I first saw it, but my mother had, the thing is, is is dog-eared now but what happened my brother before he passed he was able to secure it on a pdf somewhere so mm-hmm. we have the article nice. oh, now but you know it's that, that kind of stuff like i said that's the kind of stuff my father was doing so he was, he was doing that there weren't any other black people doing this he was all kind of mm-hmm. the first so 
you live with that. And like I tell people, I can't explain to you what being John Jr. is to John Sr. unless you actually were me. So you can't really explain. Right. And, and, you know, it's just no harm in that. Just, just unless you were similarly situated. I'll tell you who I did. Uh, Billy Murphy, you all know. Who Billy. Mm-hmm. Well, Billy's father was a judge too. Billy and I knew each other, not not real well, but we knew each other. But Billy was also an artist. He was a drummer, and he and I would often talk about this whole business being the son of a judge and the expectations people had. One of the reasons I didn't go to law school for the longest time is because everybody expected me to go to law school. Whole time I was a commissioner. Oh, when you going to law school? When you? I want to. I want to be an actor. I don't want to be a lawyer. But there are these expectations. And Billy understood that because he's Billy Murphy Jr. to Billy Murphy Sr. And I'm John Jr. to John Sr. So we understand that. We understand what that's all about. So so we would have discussions about that, you know. And Billy obviously had a very storied career. He's an incredible attorney. And they, and but I always smart. thought it was one in the same. And, and these brains. They used to talk about Billy Murphy. It was one in the same. I didn't, I did not think that well, was pop. Well, I, I was a commissioner. His father was still on the bench. Yeah. Judge Murphy's a great guy. They lived in Cherry Hill. They lived up on this hill in Cherry Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a great guy. He was what you would call your, your liberal judge. You know, he had a lot of us like that. You know, I ain't trying to mess with everybody coming through the district court. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. You don't have to mess with everybody. Sometimes you think you do, but you don't have to. <clears throat> and um, so, okay, lost my train of thought on that again. I'm sorry about that. But, oh, worked a lot with Senior Murphy. He's a, he's a pleasant guy to talk to. And he was generally liberal unless a domestic assault was involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judge Murphy, that, no, nah, he ain't having that. Okay. <laughs> Domestic salt, beating girl. Nah, he wouldn't have that. Just about anything else, he'd give you, you know, he'd let you ride. But not that. But, it, you know, and that's how it was. Judge Bundy, the older judge, black judges, they were on the bench. They were, you know, they're really great people. And they were very kind to us. And, you know, they allowed me to come and talk to them about stuff. Particularly, I was in law school three years while I was a commissioner. A lot of judges. My judges, too, were very accommodating, talking to me about stuff. Let me bend their ear, you know, ask them questions about stuff. So, like I said, I've been working with the district court for 30-some years. So, out of 30-some years being a judge. No, you know, now I've been judged by 20, but I've worked for the court. I was a court commissioner for 10 years. I worked for the district court. Okay, so being yeah. a judge about 20 years, mm-hmm. were there any trials or any situations that Stuck with you? <laughs> you ain't got that much time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of stuff sticks with you for a lot of different reasons. A lot of cases that... Funny. Now, remember, district court is a social work court. I use that term loosely, but we're... Circuit court's going to deal with your murderers, your drug dealers, your robbers, your, your, your basic violent. violent. You know, and, and we did not deal with that. We mm-hmm. did it. Did not deal with that. We, you know, assault was the most violent. Then. So I always consider district court like social work. You trying to work with people. That's why we have a lot of problem solving courts in the district court. I presided over drug, drug treatment court for three years. One of the most worthwhile things I ever did on the bench. But in mental health court, homeless court, veterans court, they have all these problem solving courts. So you can get that done in the district court, and that's what I like about it. You have the ability to touch people's lives a little bit easier than if you're in the circuit. Mm, okay. It don't always work. 
But, you know, if I got a drug addict in drug court, I can work to try to get you straight. It may not work, but we're going to try. Right, right. As opposed to, well, let's just send you to jail now. You know, that's the alternative. I used to tell people, sending you to jail. I used to tell defendants this, and they thought I was crazy. I said, sending you to jail. I said, you know, oh, no, I would put it like this. You know, I've never sent anybody to jail before. And they would look at me like, you crazy, man, you the judge. I said, no, you sending you to jail. I just wait for you to tell me that that's all I got left. So I don't send nobody. You send you to jail by showing me how you behave Mm -hmm. and how you act. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you got to go to jail. Mm -hmm. I'm not making that call. So, and I think. Maybe it's a little simplistic, but but it's just like that. You know, I'm a, I'm gonna listen to everything as a judge, try to make a decision. And you know, state may want to do something here, and the defense want to do something here. They're never gonna be on board for the most part. So I always felt like I was that vessel in the middle, try to come up with something that was like fair to everybody. But sometimes, but like I had the, the worst case I had in the most time I gave a guy was a, was a horrible domestic assault. This guy beat this woman unconscious, turned her eyeballs red, and he said something. And I, it, was a, it was a plea deal. And I agreed to give him seven years, suspend for, put him on probation, and, you know, all the things you'd have to do for that, you know, mm-hmm. get the treatment and all that. And in allocution, he basically looked up at me and said, I think people are – uh, are taking this all out of context or all out of, and I'm like, what? I'm sitting, I've seen the picture of the woman with her eyes red. She on the ambulance, you know, beat her senseless. What? You, <laughs> what? We're doing this. I brought it out of proportion. That's what he said. Blown out of proportion. So, That's so he I, said, he, he, he said, he said, I think everybody just blown this out of proportion. I've just seen the picture of this lady, y'all. No, nah, brother, this wasn't so. I said, well, Bumba, district court, I hadn't bound myself. I said, well, I'm going to give you 10 years. I said, I'm going to suspend all before. I ain't going to send you to jail no longer than the deal, but I'm going to give you 10. I'm putting you on probation for three. And I actually said this to him. I said, and when you violate, I'm giving you the rest of it. I didn't say an if, because that's what you mostly tell me, if you mess up. I said, and when you did? Well, when occurred about three or four years later, this boy went to jail, served my four years, got out, and beat another woman into unconsciousness almost immediately. So, wow. so that VOP hearing was real short. <laughs> he, landed, he landed right back in your court. Yeah, you have to VOP. You you Brother stayed with the judge. That, yeah, you. That's what I told him. I'll see you again. It's over. What did I tell you the last I time did. we spoke? Right. I said to him, I was hot. I didn't even want to look. I said, do you remember what I told you? I didn't have a lot of words for him. Mm. Do you remember what I told you the last time? No, nah, no. Nah. I said, I told you I was giving you all the rest of the sentences, whatever he had left, six years, I think. That's it. And then, and then you had the funny cases. Like I was just about to ask you about that. Yeah. Funny cases, all kinds of funny stuff. Because you can have funny stuff in district court because it's like it's just people, you know. It's, people. it's, it's just people being people, and everybody don't live like I live. You know, some people, a lot of people are scrapping. They ain't got nothing, you know. They maybe got one pair of clothes they can come out with. They maybe don't think as clearly as I do. But for reasons that are unbeknownst to me, I am often called ma'am in court, as in yes, ma'am. No man. Yeah, and it's happened too many times to just. So <laughs> my personal theory is, I think a lot of the brothers, particularly I see, big mama's the authority figure in their life. They ain't have a father in their right, life, and it's always my, yes, ma'am. Yeah, and I think it's a rote reaction. Yes, ma'am. Yes, and and I always crack up. I said, you know, I said this happens all the time. I said, but I'm a bald headed, bearded man. 
I never thought I looked much like a woman in Yeezy's light. So we're in court one day, and an African-American woman is unrepresented. And I'm basically, I'm trying to, you need to get a lawyer about this. There's an African-American prosecutor. And at one point, the woman, I was saying, you understand what I've just told you? You were right. Yes, ma'am. And, and then she catches herself, and now she's real embarrassed. And she, oh, I said, don't worry. I said, look, it happens all the time. And you give the spiel. You know, bald thing. And I don't know what it is, but don't worry about it. And she said, okay, thank you. He said, honestly, Judge, I, I, really, I think you're handsome. And so the whole courtroom <laughs> cracks up. And I look at the woman and I go, oh, you real good. You real good. And the state don't miss a beat. And she says, Judge, for the record, the state thinks you handsome too. <laughs> And nobody was any good. And it happened just like that. I think you handsome. Oh, thank you. We laughed. I think you handsome, too. You all you good. I think you handsome, too. Everybody and we're all. And, you know, it was like a light, just a light district court moment. And nobody's fighting. She going to get a postponement. Go get a lawyer. We'll come back and be serious about this another time. I've had relatives of mine appear in front of me. That's awkward. I told you. Families are families, baby. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Families are families. Yeah. I've had, let me see the, the jail work say, nah, I'm related to him. Just keep him in the back. We'll postpone it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had one set of relatives come in and the state say, there might be some identity theft and I mouth to them, is it her sister who I know would do this case? <laughs> and she just goes, <laughs> 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 I said, I know there's the other cousin. This other cousin once, it was on TV news a long time ago. Somebody had run a car into a house. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> a car into a house. Like they parked it in the living room. Yeah, pretty much. They may not have gotten through, but the car's in the house. And lo and behold, I look up, and it's my cousin they interview. And it's, she's the one, okay? <laughs> Listen, I'm not calling no names. I love all my cousins. But she's the one. She's the one that, that, that was using the sisters of that before. So that night, I get a call from another cousin, her aunt. Well, it's my Uncle Vernon's car, and she ain't have no business in it. <laughs> so now, he's jammed because the insurance saver, she had, they loaned the car for a day. She never bought, you know. Mm -hmm. So you, you see, see my relatives in court. Sometimes your friends show up. There's a lady, my daughter reminded me, so the day there's a lady that grew up, she's like a mother to me, man. She shows up in a traffic court speeding ticket one day. I know what to do. <laughs> there's a lady I know. <laughs> Growing up, played with the kids. Oh, yes, man. <laughs> you know, you're funny. Oh. You don't even want to talk to them. So they're like, I like the district court, you know. Um, who knows if I could ever go on the circuit court. I never really had an interest in it. I, I kind of liked the social work nature of what I was doing. Nice, because it was more diverse. You see a lot. Yeah, it was. It's just like I couldn't. I couldn't imagine. You know, it, like um, like somebody in a murder trial that might get convicted. I mean, what do you do with that? But if I got somebody to stealing on account that he's a little down in luck and he got a little substance problem, I can work with that. Okay, I can maybe we can maybe straighten you out. Maybe right. not. I'm not promising everything. I promise you, if it don't work out, we always got the jail. And that was always my thing. I can always send you to jail. I'll send you to jail now. We can try a couple of things. There's you know, been, I'm not quick <clears throat> on the trigger on the violation, but when it's time, it's time. There's, <laughs> there's been times that I've gone to court and people will say the craziest things to a judge. 
And I would just be sitting there tearing like I know. So, oh, no. And it's like, did. I don't want to get in trouble, right? Because I don't want the judge to be like, officer. And I'll, I'll just get up and walk out. But it's, it's the stuff that people say. They did. And it's, I don't really get hot, to, whatever it is, but I've heard. And then you got to, you know, think about threatening with contempt and stuff that nobody wants to do. And in my experience, it's always the 80-some-year-old dude. Okay, old time, please. Please, man, I understand you. Come on, man, you can't just keep me. Please sit down. <laughs> you know, you begging it. Parking court. See, that's where this would come up. Parking, yeah, parking court or mm, regular. That's where all this craziness happened. People were hot. Parking court. People were just mad at the city of Baltimore. They didn't like where the signs were. I couldn't see the sign. There ain't no place to park. It ain't got nothing to do with me. So I used to tell them up front, I ain't the city. I'm just here calling balls and strikes. We'll work this out. Right. And... I would do certain things and everybody knew nobody's going to get killed that day. And you find a way to get through the docket where everybody's, you know, you tamp it down a little bit because <laughs> everybody's hot and, and understandably, but it ain't got nothing to do with me. You start so, affecting them pockets. They get real mad. Well, that's what right. it is. And seeing parking, I was never one primarily because I'll admit this. I was a horrible parking violator in my youth. I mean, I could take a $12 parking ticket and parlay it into hundred and some dollars and have to stand in the line. Back in the day, y'all don't know nothing about this. All driver uh, tags expired on the same day, March 31st. Mm. So it wasn't under this tag at every, no, no, no. So if you mess up like I would do, I'm in a line for two or three hours downtown at the Walman building. To, I'm telling you, lines outside would happen every month, paying a ticket and they give you things you paid and now you got to go st- Standing in a two or three hour line in the NBA because everybody's there. Nothing was online. You know, this is, mm. y'all don't know nothing about them days. <laughs> this this was today. before technology. Wow. Everything was just written. You just, just, now I had been, you know, I do everything online with the NBA now. Just right. everything. Just everything's online. But back then, and you know, I was horrible. So this is what happened. People get in there. Half the time they're in there because they got a, $50 ticket and $1,000 in penalty fees. Mm-hmm. You know, what you, so I just you'd be get rid of the penalty fees. And I, you know, I don't know. It's just, Those you know, you, so, somebody, somebody got to do it, but, you know, it's just, it's not when you think about, you know, I'd much rather be working with my substance abusers and trying to get them straight than fighting with the little old European lady who just don't want to take not guilty because the cop's not here. <laughs> Right. It's not guilty. I said, you don't need to tell me nothing. <laughs> How about like and they threaten her with contempt. You know, you have threatened her with contempt. How about like dress code? Anything ever stuck out to you? Like anything funny? Oh, yeah. Large-breasted women with no bras on. Oh. Yes, you know, You see all this. You see okay, that. here's the thing about being a judge. However many people in the courtroom, they are intently watching you. They see everything. That's how judges get in trouble. That's how, because they say dumb shiggity on the bench. <laughs> and it's all these people out there watching and listening to it. Me, on the other hand, I'm kind of focused on who I'm dealing with at the time, which is people that just, I don't know what's going on out there. That's why the bell is out there. It could be a fight going on out there. Oftentimes there are. Somebody, you know, we've had instances. I had a couple of my judgy friends. Dudes started masturbating in the back of the courtroom. Yeah, what? you want to talk about wax stuff? That yeah, I'm. T- <laughs> yeah. I've had colleagues have women pull their body parts out on the stand to show you this is where I got bit. You know, so that stuff will happen in district court. That stuff will happen. Uh, 
you know, <laughs> it was entertaining sometimes. But, you know, you're not, the purpose is not to entertain. Sometimes people come in, oh, you are very entertaining today, Judge. And I would never know how to take that. I always tried to keep it light if I could. I mean, that's just my personality. I'm just not a hard ass. Uh, you know, I'm not one to be yelling and screaming and all that. I mean, I don't suffer fools lightly. And, you know, I, I know what's right and what's wrong. But I'm going to try to keep it light because I know everybody's a bit nervous being so if we can keep it light, let's keep it light. I was very entertaining, and um, didn't mean to be. <laughs> Another one. Do you know how many people that you tell them raise your right hand, they raise your left hand? Is <laughs> because they're nervous? I don't know. Gotta be. And my general response would be, your other right hand, please. So y'all been watching? Y'all been watching the trial from Minnesota? I've been watching. No. Okay, I'm I'm on it like daily. Is but it good? Like I don't know if you can call the death of a man at the hands of a police officer well, good, but no, not that aspect. Not that just, just like as far as like, other is the defense. Defense has not presented his defense. Defense, in my opinion, this is just my opinion because we haven't seen the defense yet. The defense doesn't have much leeway. The defense really is left to the causation. Uh, the state has presented with, and they just keep refining it and refining. The state started out with emotional testimony from week. Every bystander, everybody took a video camera. They've showed the video of this man being knelt on. It's incredible. Four of the early witnesses broke down and cried on the stand talking about it. People blamed themselves for his death. I could have done more. The kid that was inside that took the counterfeit bill. If I just let the counterfeit bill slide, police would have, you know. So it's very emotional. It's very emotional. It is horrible what happened to this man. But as a lawyer, my friend over there can tell you that we were texting about it, and I kept saying, well, I think so, but I ain't on the jury. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, it don't make no difference what I think about it. I said, I'm not the trier of fact. I'm not the one deciding the case. What makes a difference is what them 12 people are thinking about, and I have no idea what they're thinking about. And that's the scary part of the trial. It was up to me, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and commit but but I think that the state's doing as good as he can. I think the defense doing as good as he can. The state's just, they're refuting everything that the, the defense keeps coming up. Like the defense is going to want to tell you that he died of an overdose or a heart attack. That The, the experts on the day pretty much laid that to rest. Now, he died because his body was deprived of oxygen. And they talk about it in a very medical way. They basically just, because how he's pinning everything eventually. At one point, this, he's a, a pulmonary pulmonary expert. He was looking at the video and you saw Floyd, his eyelid move, and then he just stopped. He said he was living then, he said, and that is when the life went out of George Floyd. Wow. On the stand, unobjected. The paramedics have said, well, what, what did you think when you got there? He said, name is term. I thought he was dead. They never revived him. They got video of his life, the last hour and a half of his life, every second. You've seen it in the trial. George Floyd. In the store, out at the car when the police came on him with the guns. That's when he freaked, in my opinion, from looking at it. He was high. There's no question about that. No question about that. But when the police pulled the gun on him, he, he started freaking, and it went downhill. So what did it end up being? So I'm on it. This, you know, I'm, you know, the state's got me going right now, but uh, I'm going to wait and see what the defense presents. So, And then closing arguments. But yeah, I I just I guess because of my profession and I'm retired and ain't doing nothing else. <laughs> I've been me and my mother, me and my ninety one year old mother. Did, wow. call, call, did you hear that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, 
What? But and I brought that up because the second witness that testified was this. I believe the woman was very high on the witness stand. It was a white woman. <laughs> the girl was all jacked up. She kept like falling asleep. She couldn't remember nothing. She. This is the second witness. I'm going. What is this they doing? I don't know. I can't remember. Here's what happened. She took a video. Do you take a video? Do we show you the video? Is that what happened? Video comes in. Does the video? I know you can't remember anything, but is, is the video? Is that what you were seeing today? Yeah, they put the video in. This is a video trial. You know, the video started changing trials anyway when mm -hmm. I was on the bench. Because that's about the best evidence you can get is a video Absolutely. tape. Yeah, yeah. I don't need you to tell me what happened or you to tell me what happened. You to tell me what I can like, look and see what happened. You can put your spin on it, but I can see what happened. So with the advent of the cell phone cameras. I mean, you're seeing that stuff now, and that stuff can be dispositive, up or down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you did it. You didn't do it. You, right. you know. So th this is a unique trial in that it is all video. They've got uh, street video cameras across the street. Four of the officers' body-worn cameras have all been in evidence. Four bystanders stand there, including the teenager who's went viral. It's a very clear shot of the whole. Uh, the stores have video cameras across the street. Every You see everything that happens from the time he's in the store till he passes the counterfeit bill. And there's no question about that. He did. He passed the counterfeit bill. He went outside. The store people went out twice to try to get him to come back inside to, re to resolve it informally. He didn't. I, to the day, I don't know why him and his boys stayed there. They literally stayed there for close to half an hour before the police came. And they'd been told twice that the people inside wanted to talk to him. But I'd, I'd have been, you know, maybe that's me from Baltimore. I'd been gone. <laughs> Not have still been sitting out in front of this place. So, you know, it's the four for defense. But right now, it looks like the state's in a pretty strong position. Uh, and the video, it's, it's hard to watch the video. So. Anyway. So, but that, that's what I've been doing most days. I've learned to tape it and then go back and find the stuff I want to see. All right. Nice. Mm -hmm. okay. Even tried to watch the Orioles a little bit, but. And they lost today. No, they start off 3 and 0, and I think yeah. they've lost. They're getting close to 500. But, you know, that's, they're my boys. I grew up. They're my, my father's thing. He was a big, you know, he's a sports fan. And that's another thing about them old brothers back in the day. They didn't just go to school and be lawyers. These dudes were athletes. My father was a world-class swimmer and diver, man. We got all kinds of cups and trophies. and wow. Him, like I said, he was a water safety instructor. He swam for Howard University. Wow. We, got, we got pics of that. He played tennis. And, you know, they, these dudes were just, just completely well-rounded. You ever hear of a brother named Rap Wheatley? Mm -hmm. Y'all ain't on no. the he was a Morgan athlete back in the day. He was like my grand would be my grandma. He lived across the alley from us. And it, there's nothing. Dude, he never had more. He always had more than enough time for me and my brother. If he wanted to throw the ball, he would come out and throw the ball with this. And come to find out later, he was one of the greatest athletes in the state of Maryland back in his day at Morgan. You know, these brothers did everything. Wow. But, you know, they were multi-talented. And here's the guy just, Mr. Wheatley, you want to throw the ball? He would leave his baseball mitt for He had a first baseman's mitt to the light. And he let me take it and play in Little League. He said, it's out on the back. Just bring it back when you come. Man, I spent a whole season playing Little League baseball with his glove. Wow. So that don't happen anymore either. I guess, tough time back. There ain't a whole lot of men and a whole lot of young dudes' lives anymore. Mm. I mean, they're there, but not like, I mean, we had it everywhere. Right. You know, people, we we fortunate. We knew a lot of people that had both parents and house you know for example so 
So all in all, over 20 years, you had a blast. Sounds like it. <laughs> That's one way of looking. I enjoyed it. Somebody asked me that today. And I do. I, I didn't. I can honestly say I enjoyed what I did. Not every single moment or, you know, if I'm in the day and I'm in parking court all day long and I'm by my last nerve come about 3 o'clock. I mean, that wasn't all that good. And you saw some sad things. But for the most part, I enjoy I'm a people person. So because I worked for the district court for so long as a commissioner and as a judge, a lot of the people I knew when I was a court commissioner were still working there when I was a judge. So you just had that. We went from John and Bill to now, I know it's awkward, you got to call me judge, but, <laughs> but you know, we boys, so we, we were partners, you know, and I, I never want, I don't care a whole lot about titles, awesome. as long as you send me the right check. There you go. That's what I'm <laughs> talking about. Right there, right. I saw it, but say uh, that again. <laughs> I don't care what you call me. <laughs> Just send the right check. But uh, but I did. It. Uh, I feel fortunate and blessed with the life I've been able to live so far. It's been fruitful, positive, and I hope I've made a positive impact on somebody's life. I'm sure you did. Absolutely. But, uh, you laid the foundation. But, uh, and you know, I go back to the, when did I become history? But you know, I still wonder about that. It's just experiences, though. This, this is one man's experience Excellent. in America. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. I uh, appreciate being here. You don't know this does more for me than it ever could do for you. Wow, I like talking. <laughs> That's number one. So let's so, so let's do it again. I, I, absolutely, I'm down. Um, yeah, but I like talking about what we're talking about. Sometimes we forget where things came from. It's needed. It's so, needed. And that's another reason why this podcast was created. Okay, all about bridging the gap, and your voice needs to be heard just like everybody else. All right, there's gonna be so many people that are gonna like listen to this. Be like, yo, that. That's his father on, on that courthouse building. Like, that was smart. People would come up to me and say, "Is that is this building named after you?" And I say, "I'm a smart ass by nature." Right. And I'm and I'm say and I'm telling people, I said, uh, "No, generally they they name buildings after dead people, uh, and I, I'm not dead." Right. So stuff like that. I had an attorney once tell me her client wouldn't take a plea one day. I was there because I, I don't understand it, but she said what he said was. Since the building was apparently named after me, he couldn't be comfortable with me being fair or something. How about <laughs> that? Uh, it, it's, the and that is at a Christmas party. She's telling me this at a Christmas party. And I'm like, you know, that's the kind of stuff. I'm like, really? I, I, I just don't. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I just wanted to thank you because I'm in Mitchell Courthouse all the time mm -hmm. and I did not know the little history nugget you gave us about the Mitchell, you know, um, studying where, where you know yeah know. that's his so no the Clarence idea, Mitchell right? that's his wife was Juanita Jackson See, her mother insane. was Lily Carol Jackson you ever heard of her she was the main lady in the civil rights movement that was Juanita Mitchell's mama and if you drive down wow. Druid, okay if you drive down Druid Hill Avenue heading downtown there's a wall you're gonna see with a mural on it Lily Jackson Carol is on on that wall Thurgood Marshall is on that wall who else? About four or five brothers did they because they all grew up down in this area. That's insane. Before they all grew up around down Druid Hill Avenue. Thurgood Marshall grew up on Druid Hill Avenue. Mitchell's were on Druid Hill Avenue. Um so yeah, and they have this mural there that has all these people. That is insane. So th this is this there's quite a legacy of black folks, you know, small community, but they've been there. And just what we can do with it. <laughs> That's the trick. 
And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, it's episode 70. I thank the judge coming on and taking thank his you time. For having me. No, thank you for coming on, sir. We really appreciate it. It means everything. Okay. Just coming out. We need to hear it. The world needs to hear it. And let's continue this day. Dre, what you got? Peace and love. Triple that C. is it. Triple C. Yo, just keep just just keep on keeping on. That's it. All right, everybody. Judge, would you like to give any shout outs before we go? They <laughs> gonna put me on the spot like a um just a little to, token or something. Token or something. All right, to my to my, to my wife All and, day. and my children, because I'm sure she'll probably look at it at some point. Uh, so hopefully I didn't embarrass myself to my daughters. <laughs> of course they, not. They, no. I'm a girl dad. Did y'all know me that? Me too. I, okay, there Same. we go. Me I got too. a girl dad. Too. So I got three of them. We didn't talk about that. Maybe the next time Absolutely. we talk about being the only man in that situation. How about that? But hey, I love them all. So. Hey, I'm glad and I hope that I didn't embarrass y'all. <laughs> you did your thing. You did your thing. Because they know how I can get. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I think my two daughters could say the same about me. Right. We, we still know because people used to ask, I don't know if you still record, mm-hmm. but they used to have, yes. my, my kids used to go to court with me a lot. They, they, they were fascinated when I first went band. they go sit there and stuff. And people say, oh man, your girls... Man, this is something. Your father's the judge. I said, please. I said, I'm the same stupid MF that I've always been in their life. I wasn't always a judge, but I've always been their daddy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, that judge, it would say anything me growing up. Oh, your father? Yeah, and I'm. <laughs> he's right. my father. He did do yelling at me and you don't process. When you're the child of, you don't process what right. they do. You just don't. And so it's funny. People would ask that. Nice. Nah, it's just like you and your daughters. <laughs> Same thing. All right. We do about this song right here, Nina Simone, about Baltimore. Classic, isn't it? I like I like most music. Yeah. It is. It is. Well, from, from, from my days at, at Gilman and stuff, I'm a straight up rocker too. I'm a black hippie. Okay. Or I was. And, <laughs> I am a, and uh, did you? Ever see the picture? Remember the time for the Commission Education Committee? They had us sending pictures, and I sent in a baby picture, and a picture of me in college. I had this huge fro, a uh, straw hat on, jewelry hanging all off my neck, and a cigarette hanging at the side. <laughs> that that was me in the mid seventies. Nothing wrong with that. And then Mother Nature started playing that cruel trick with my hair, so they went to fro. I'm a victim. They went to fro, <laughs> and this is both. This is where we've gone. Bald and beautiful. <laughs> Getting closer and closer to a shave. I still can't get there. I just keep cutting it close. Yeah, we'll okay. talk about weeks <laughs> after this. So, all right, my people. Right. That's it. Episode seventy. We love you. Stay safe. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you guys soon. Views and opinions expressed on the Silverback Podcast are those of the hosts, producers, and or the persons appearing on the program, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the federal, state, or local government. This includes, but not exclusive to, the Department of Defense and or the Baltimore City Police Department.